0: incredible hour uh we're welcome this is a free friday training edition office hours uh we've been doing this in october it'll be 24 years and uh we started with two people now we have over 80,000 people registered for training who knows how many on all the sanford and son multicast Klaus, instagram TikTok. who knows what we're doing but we have uh some special guests uh coming on today nick why don't you go ahead and set the room We'll bring the incredible Lacey Book and David Marino in and uh, bring our first guest down in about four minutes. Uh, go ahead, Jake. Nick? <laughs> Happy <laughs> Friday. I knew we were going to get a
1: slip up. I just didn't know how long it was going to take us. But uh, love and happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to David Meltzer's Power Hour here on the best room in Clubhouse, the Breakfast with Champions, of course. Um, as David mentioned, today's topic for the hour for David's training is Office Hour. So we're going to be bringing on some incredible guests. But in between those guests, we will have plenty of time for QA. So of course, as you have your questions, uh, feel free to either raise your hand or uh, put something in the... I
0: can't hear anything.
2: I can't either.
0: Yeah, that's because I'm talking on Instagram, the multicast. Oh. <laughs> incredible co host here we go get, get ready to bring on our first guy all right this is the office hour edition and i want to introduce two incredible people it's like family uh you only have like the family edition of, of a game show that's the way i feel i got my younger brother dave marino dm squared used to hook up every single week now he's too brus but uh look at him he looks i don't even know where he's at but mr marino <laughs> welcome to office hours my friend
3: Good morning, Dave. How are you? I have like a weird delay. I don't know if I'm coming across late on your end, but
0: uh, yeah, you are. Yeah, Technology is always I'll come back in. I'll
3: uh, back.
0: And then uh, I have my little sister as well, Dr. Lacey Book. Uh, she is here. She's going to be co hosting us as we're on our friends uh, here on Clubhouse and uh, on Office Hours in the StreamYard. And uh, please bring your questions. We'll have some breaks today? Uh, to bring up some questions pertaining to the conversations that we have, and um, you know, Lacey. Since I have you here, real quick before we bring on Frederick, um, I got to come and visit you in Indy. I think it was yesterday, or in before. <laughs> <laughs> One <laughs> no, of working. these
2: days this week. Yeah, I
0: was there, and uh, it was interesting because I have the state-of-the-art studio now uh, in one of your homes and so many people have done that. I was just, you know, curious, you know, what a difference it has made. Um so many people want to do content in a variety of different ways for a variety of different reasons. Um but what difference has having that studio, a state of the art studio in your home made?
2: Well first off no judgment because I'm not in it right now. I'm actually in my <laughs> office because content is being created downstairs. But having a studio actually in our home has allowed us to just create content at a quicker clip, right? I mean, I think that's the biggest thing nowadays is that you have to be quick. You have to, you have to be pushing out new, innovative, like relatable content in the moment. And if you don't have access or a place to be able to do that, you're already behind. So I feel like it's really been able to accelerate our ability to get our message out there.
0: And uh, Mr. Moreno's living proof of that as mm-hmm. uh, if you own a state of the art side, I can't tell you how many times technology from the road uh, has contributed to some sort of interference. But we're going to bring our guest on here on Clubhouse. Nick, if that's OK, uh, he's been waiting in the wings here. Frederick Heron is here. The creativity <laughs> and horror, uh you can check him out at Frederick dot com. But uh, Frederick, welcome to Office Hours.
4: Hi, thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. Are you on your private island by the by chance? Because that looks incredible. Uh,
4: yeah, I am on one of my private islands. I actually have two. But yes, I live on a <laughs> this is on top of the house.
0: Yeah, okay, so I got to ask because I get, you know, under my signature in my email, uh, unlike so many others that list out, this top, this, this top, this, this. And it's like a whole long, long list of things that they've achieved or things that they bought. Um, I just put now res ipsa quarter which means that which speaks for itself. Mm. I will see with the thousands of guests that I have, I love the fact that yours uh, specifically just says a global beaker. And, uh, you know, I find it just so amazing that, you speak around the world, up to 35 countries per year, um, which is extraordinary. Um, but yet somehow you have, uh, through your creativity, created enough income to have two private islands and uh, travel the entire world. How have you been able to integrate revenue-generating income while traveling and speaking the world Uh it, it, it's just almost dumb is dumbfound. It's amazing.
4: Well, there are a lot of people who call themselves global speakers because it's a, it's not a description; it's an aspiration. But uh, I, as you said, I I the, the mental change that I did. I went from defining myself as a Swedish speaker to defining myself as a speaker, just a speaker. And then my market didn't wasn't just Sweden anymore. Uh, it was the whole world, and and that made me deliberately go. And uh, not only speaking Germany or America or France, but also, I don't know, Bangladesh, Myanmar, uh, Mongolia. I've, I've spoken in North Korea. So to have this global mindset uh, gives you the world as the market and not just a part of the world. So I think the mindset of a global mindset is is what, what, what makes the biggest difference.
0: Lacey.
2: Yeah, I actually love I was looking into your profile, and I love that you help inspire people to be more creative and generate ideas. And it got me thinking, a lot of people on the planet need to be creative in the hardest moments, like when they're struggling or when things aren't going their way or when they're depressed or having anxiety. How do you help people get inspired to be creative during that time when they truly need it?
4: First of all, it's very true some part of creativity comes from problem solving. I call this the Apollo 13 kind of creativity. Houston, we had a problem. Uh, But most creativity comes at a totally different time of life, when you are totally relaxed, like uh, JK Rowling sitting on a train or uh, Harry Potter just came to her. So first of all, creativity comes mostly when we are not stressed and when we do not have a problem. Mm -hmm. And that is why I live on an island, because I want to be totally relaxed and, and be in the perfect mindful and listen to my subconscious but also when there is a specific problem now people think they said Houston we have a problem they didn't say Houston we have a problem they said Houston we had a problem Mm -hmm. and meaning they very quick went from identifying that there was a problem this oxygen tank blew up to very quickly go into problem solving mode we had a problem now let's figure out how to solve it and I think this is the lesson that Creativity is about solving problems. Creativity is what makes us so happy because we have less problems in our lives, but we should not focus on problem. Creativity is problem solving. Creativity is solution finding. Let's say, how can we get out of this bad situation that we are in? The creative process is the positive one, not the negative one.
2: I love that.
3: That's tremendous. Uh, Frederic, good morning, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Afternoon in Sweden, there on that private island, I am thoroughly jealous, and I'm going to lean into the travel thing because much like my friend David Meltzer, you get to travel around the world uh, and 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 make money and have fun while doing it, right? And a lot of times, people travel, you know, for vacation or for leisure with their family, and they learn these profound lessons. But I've learned that you can learn these profound lessons also while while working and traveling the world. So, what would you say is the most profound lesson you've learned? while traveling, where did that happen and what were you doing?
4: Okay, actually, I will. so I call myself the creativity explorer, but for 20 years I defined myself as a a creativity expert. But my son was asked to do a presentation in school. What? He was eight years old. What does your parents do for a living? He was supposed to say my father is a creativity expert, but he's eight years old, he screws it up and he says Mm -hmm. my father is a creativity explorer. And I heard that, and I said, oh, my God, this is so much better. Because an, ex- an expert knows everything. An explorer doesn't know anything, mm-hmm. but to explore means to venture into unknown territory in order to learn more about it. So yesterday, I was in Copenhagen, and I did a speech. But the whole day before that, I interviewed, I interviewed a jazz guitarist, uh, a famous architect, and a head of R&D of the Nova Nordisk, which is the most valued company in, uh, in Europe at the moment. So my main job is actually to explore and interview and learn from creative people. I did a speech recently in Mumbai for Tata Group, a huge Tata company. Right after that, I went and I interviewed the children of sex workers in the slums of Mumbai, because I wanna know what can we learn about creativity from the people who have nothing at all. So suddenly I wasn't the expert on the topic. I'm the one who wants to find out about creativity by interviewing people that no one is asking or no one is interviewing.
0: You know, one thing that stands out as well, and I'm reverting back to it today, is you do so much in person. Um, and yet there's a whole world as you have this global perspective as this explorer on the digital side. I know you've are you know more experienced uh than most of the younger uh social media they call them I call them influencers but influencers spreading the flu uh, have you utilized uh the social media platform because you know for me it's been a huge godsend I've, al- I've always traveled 200 days a-, a year except for during COVID and to be able to amplify my message and uh, brand has been a godsend for me so for you how have you used the social media side of things
4: I I don't uh, I would say that I use this this the the video communication platform that has been the huge game changer for me. I mean I still travel a lot. I mean I I live for the the traveling. I, I, I would define myself as a traveler more than anything to explore the world. But now thanks to this technology, I can also interview way more people. So I interviewed. Um, uh, an Afghan artist, about painting in traditional Afghan techniques. I wouldn't be able to go to Afghanistan just to interview her. It would take me two weeks to do that. Now I just go on Zoom and interview her, and I've learned something about creativity from Afghanistan. When I interview the head of R&D of Coca-Cola, I could set up a meeting with him, but it would it's a big chance to get canceled, removed after to flight to Atlanta, all of this. Now it's just one hour, boom, I interview them. I don't understand why people are not reaching out to whoever they want to reach and talk to in the world and just say, hey, can we go on a Zoom call and I want to interview you? You would be amazed how many people say yes. No, 99 out of 100 will say no. But send hundreds of emails. I send hundreds of emails. One in 100 said yes. And do you know what the common denominator is? I always ask them, why did you say yes? 95 out of 95% of them. Or 5% will say, oh, because I want exposure, I want to be in your book, or whatever. 95% of them say, because I'm curious. I was curious about this conversation. Mm-hmm. Which means it becomes a self-fulfilling funnel. Only the curious people say, yes, you're bound to have an interesting discussion.
0: Well, I, Those statistics are believable. It just reminds me of my favorite statistic. Do you remember what my favorite statistic is? No, 99% of all statistics are made up. Yeah. but those sound believable. All right, Lacey.
2: <laughs> um, I'm i just curious because you've interviewed so many people across the planet. What is the one common denominator you see for individuals that are truly inspired, creative, and can tap into their ideas? Uh,
4: curious, same, same thing, curiosity. Same thing, just curiosity. High four, number one. And I teach you something about curiosity it, it's a, In English, it's a childish word, like curiosity kills the cat, curious George, uh, but it's actually a profound word. The etymology of the word curious comes from the Latin word cura, and cura is the same word as to care, meaning if you're curious about something, it means you care about it. The other way around, if you're not curious about something, it means you don't care about it. Like if you're not into, let's say, Bitcoin. If you're not into Bitcoin, you're not curious, right? Because you don't care about it. But whatever you do care about, you will be curious about it. I'm curious about cu- uh, creativity, which means I will interview a taxi driver or a waiter or a dog trainer, anyone I meet. Tell me how you work with creativity. So ask yourself, what do you care about? Or, or the other way around, what are you curious about? Because that's what you care about. Or look at what do you care about, and that's what you're curious about. That, it's a connection between the two. Curiosity, by far. Number two, I would say humbleness. But number one, curiosity.
2: I
0: love that. Excellent. Dave, you want to finish us up?
3: Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask a question that's probably going to create a long-winded answer. So I'm going to ask you, Frederick, to give us the abbreviated version because you, you people see people like yourself, like Dave, like Lacey, and it's awesome. They see the success, but they don't see the start of the process. Um, they don't understand how you became a global speaker and a creativity explorer. What's the etymology of your success? What would you say that is, to use a word that you used already?
4: I'm, I'm going to disappoint you now. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, my whole life is built up around two things. Number one, do not have stress. And number two, avoid the things that are difficult. I believe there's a million doors out there that are open. So, and then there's 10 million doors that are closed. And the whole idea of knocking on all those closed doors, I don't believe in it. If a door is closed to me, I just leave it. I go to the next one until I find an open door. And that's the one I want to do. I've spoken in 75 countries. I want to speak in a hundred. There's 25 left to my goal. Okay, I want to speak, speak in in um, uh, Kazakhstan, but I tried to get some speaking. I, have, I wasn't able to do it, but then I said, okay, you know what? I also want to speak in Israel. Let's do Israel instead. Boom, got to speak in this speech in Israel. Life is way too short to focus on banging your head through a wall to get through to where you want to be. Just look for the open doors, look for the opportunities, go for them. That is, that, that makes you less stressed and happier, and life just becomes easier. I, if lazier, I have time, I have the I have terminology of opportunity too. It's a name of a <laughs> wind, okay? It's a, <clears throat> a wind that the Romans used to have. It means the wind that takes you home to your harbor. That was the opportunity. So, so suddenly they're out there, they're drowned, they're, they have no food, they're almost dying. Suddenly here comes the right wind, the opportunity is coming. And it means you still have a hoist, sailing, you still have to go sailing. But when the opportunity comes, just grab it. Hoist your sails and sail home to your, to, to your safety.
0: Well, we will all be sailing to your private islands. Just give us the You're direction. Yes, yeah, super. We'll have you back on as well, Frederick. Thank you so much the Creativity Explorer. Check him out. Traveling all around the world, helping us be co-creative uh, with the universe and fulfill our dreams. There he is. All right, we have a few moments. Nick, I'm going to bring on the amazing tool himself. Craig Siegel, how could I not have Dave Marino with Craig Siegel on here? Craig Siegel has an amazing uh, new book out called The Invention Formula, founder of the Cultivate Lasting Symphony. Also the co-host <clears throat> on Saturday mornings. I think we're on a hundred some episodes of the paradigm shift, shifting the paradigm. Good morning, my man,
5: Mr. Eagle. Craig Siegel, what's up? Good morning, handsome. Thank you for having me. There's no place in the world I'd rather be. Let's have some fun. Let's get nuts let's get crazy
0: look who I brought along with me aren't you impressed
5: very impressed good to see you guys how are you good to see you Craig what's up
0: Dave all right Craig you were very intentional about reinventing and uh to put a quantitative analysis on it is right up my alley I love kind of giving a mathematical equation or something pragmatic to put towards theoretical philosophical including faith um but you've You know, taking something that everyone looks at, reinventing themselves, and put a formula to it. What is that formula, and where did it come from?
5: Yeah, first of all, I love you. So there's that. I want to change the the thought process. I want to give a paradigm shift to the word reinvention. I want to be very intentional here. Reinvention to me is not starting over; it's finishing and executing on that one thing that you've been denying. What is the one thing that you've been dying to do? And for me personally, I always knew I was here for much more. We all are. And I was always in love with personal development. But I kind of, I would shake it off like, oh, that's not for me. Or I couldn't make that a career. Or it's a saturated space. or my personal favorites. Or who's going to want to listen to me? And I think when it comes to creating a formula for anybody that wants to play bigger, remove limiting beliefs, and make a bigger dent in the universe, it starts with your mindset. Right, Most people have an idea, and then they immediately start thinking about, well, what can go wrong if I do this? What are people going to think? Or what if I fail? And I encourage everybody to be super intentional and not give energy to those thoughts and and do the opposite. What if it goes right? What if you fly? How good can you stand it? And start thinking about all the impacts, the great relationships, and, and the great energy that can come behind this if you do, in fact, lean into that thing that you've been denying to do. So I think it begins with mindset.
2: Craig, I love this uh, concept. And I got to ask, because you're talking about, and I'm I'm actually glad you said that reinvention doesn't mean starting over. Because I think a lot of people hear the word, the term reinvention, and they think, I've got to go back to the drawing board. I've got to let go of everything that I already am, who I am, to become somebody new. And you said, hey, it's not about like failing. It's about being able to fly. I find that a lot of people, even if they're trying to reinvent one particular part of themselves, they have so much difficulty letting go of the old version, right? So, how do you help people, like, actually, or, or what advice do you have to, to help them let go of something they've been holding on to so long that they identify with?
5: Yeah. So, great question. So, what they're actually holding on to is this identity that's not mm-hmm. even real. It's a belief system that we weren't born with, but somewhere over time we cultivated it. Maybe our parents, maybe society, maybe social media, whatever the case may be. And we started giving life and energy to these ideas and thoughts, and they became very strong beliefs. And I speak from contrast because for so long, when I was on Wall Street and, and I was in a I was a gladiator, definitely in the wrong arena, and I was miserable and all the list goes on. I didn't realize that I had a choice. I was so invested into that particular story, that movie, that I thought this was it for me. I'm a washy guy. I'll make a certain amount of money. I'll never find true love. I'll always be stressed out, all that stuff. When I got really quiet and it started to block out the interference, like Dave always likes to talk about in the pandemic, I'm being honest, it was kind of a forced pivot. I really considered the fact that we all – have a choice. And I began to choose a different narrative, a different story, a different movie, if you will. And if you think of your life like a movie, I decided to change the plot, change the next scene, even the cast of characters in my movie. And so just this simple concept of awareness and everybody listening right now, realizing that we have a choice. Mm
3: -hmm. I love that, Craig. First off, I'm going to start this, my question with a shout out to everybody on Long Island because- uh, my boy Craig is also from Long Island, and we don't get enough love. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna give us some love here. Uh, but, but secondly, Craig, I'm, I'm super proud of you. I'm, uh, you know, very happy you came into my life via Dave in this community, and I've seen you grow so much since we've known one another. Um, you did something that a lot of people see on TV. It's a buzzword. You see, you'll see that star running back bet on himself, right? In the contract year, he didn't take the extension you know, for 75% of his value, he played it out, put everything on the line and better himself. We've got a lot of people stuck in careers that they maybe don't fully love, that gives them financial security. Obviously, Wall Street is probably one of the ones that's higher on that list, Uh, provides a lucrative life. You bet on yourself and walked away from a lot of security. Can you walk folks through a little bit through what your thought process was, what was your motivation, um, and if you would do it again?
5: Yes. So I I actually saw, I was up really early this morning, very excited about life. And I saw a stat that 65% of Americans are searching for a new job and only 20% are finding purpose in the work that they do. I think that's pretty alarming. And so for me and for anybody listening right now, I think the greatest investment or bet that you can ever make is on yourself. And that doesn't mean that you have all the answers. In fact, I the older I get every day that goes by, I realize there's less I know, which is one of the reasons why I'm glad I have Dave in my corner and, and all of you guys. But the simple fact that you're resourceful, you're determined, you're creative, you're abundant, and also all the things that made you successful in a different endeavor or a different industry, it wasn't actually the, those that industry. It was you that was successful. And there's some commonalities between those traits. Maybe it's discipline, uh, creativity, creativity, Uh, drive, work ethic, whatever the case may be, those traits are transferable. And so for me, I like to give examples of myself because I don't have it all figured out, but I made some moves. When I stepped into this stuff and like building a brand, I had no following, no connections, no nothing. But I realized that I was willing to do whatever it takes ethically to learn, to beat up my craft. Mm -hmm. And even if I stumble or when I stumble, I should say, I know that it won't be a failure because I'll learn valuable lessons and I'll continue to apply them. So I think the riskiest thing that we can do in life is to play it safe. And so knowing that, I encourage everybody to lean in into that thing that you've been denying. And don't worry if you have all the answers. Bet on yourself and your ability to figure things out.
0: If you're not going to invest in yourself, what are you ever going to invest in? And this man has been investing himself and. In- Keeping the outcomes or better than he anticipated i can tell you that as a witness and hopefully a supporter of the incredible craig siegel the eagle the venture you check it out it's on sale everywhere it will change your life and your perspective not in exactly in that order craig i know you got another interview to go to thank you so much for joining us i will see you tomorrow morning at yes. 7 30 a.m pacific time on the paradigm shift
5: joining us Thank you so much for having me. Great to see everybody. Let's have a great day and finish strong. Bye, guys. Thanks, Craig. Always. Doesn't matter if you have the lead, as long as you have it from
0: behind. So let's all finish strong. All right, before we bring on the next guest, Nick, go ahead, reset the room there on Clubhouse for all of us. We still have Dr. Casey Book and Dr. David Moreno, Esquire, in the house uh, with us today. Slick Nick, go ahead, reset the room. There we go.
1: Set of the room here again. This is David Meltzer's Power Hour. We are almost here at the homework. Um, so of course, let's continue to share the room with your friends, family, colleagues, anybody that you believe would benefit from this conversation. And of course, as we have these breaks and the incredible guests we're able to bring on, um, if you guys have your questions, please feel free to raise your hand or put something in the comments and we will bring, aim to bring you up to the stage. Um, and David, we have uh, Colleen here who has been patiently waiting um, and- And then, well, and ask uh, your question. Happy Friday. Good morning, everybody.
0: Good
1: morning. This morning, and and, and Craig
6: actually touched a little bit on it, but I thought it was uh, just kind of good for follow up. Uh, How do you
4: quantify when you feel like you're at ease, everything is in the flow? But people say that you really can't learn unless you're facing challenges. How do you quantify
1: being in the flow, but also trying to learn and expand?
0: Marino, you want to go first?
3: Yeah, I guess it's a really good question, Colleen. And good morning. Always great to hear from you. So how do you quantify when you're in the flow and you're dealing with challenges? Yes. Yeah. I, I think, okay. I mean, I'm going to steal what you've taught me so much over the years, David, is is just getting back to center, right? Taking stock of the challenges you're dealing with, but also finding you know, your way back to center so you can clear out the static. And I don't know if that's a full answer to your question in terms of the quantification. Uh, I don't necessarily quantify what the challenges are that I deal with, because once I give them more attention, it just becomes more distracting to me. So for me, I try to get back to center as quickly as possible, uh, take a breath, and then you know, either push through or evaluate how I'm gonna respond.
0: Lace.
2: Well, it's really interesting. Uh, I love that question, Colleen. But I was thinking, even when you're in the flow and everything is going your way, I don't think that that necessarily means that you don't have challenges. I think that it means that you're able to face challenges more freely and find solutions faster. And so oftentimes when I feel like there's not a lot of resistance in my life, I'm living in my passion and my purpose and things are going my way, especially when I'm expanding, I'm still running into issues. I'm still running into things that I don't necessarily know how to solve right away. But when I have that momentum and that flow, I feel like there's so much ease in finding the way to overcome that solution or that adversity faster. And so I would say that literally when you're in the flow, you want to still see those challenges, but you know, you have confidence that you'll be able to overcome them in a way easier way.
0: My girl's wicked smart. And, uh, I think she hit on something. Uh, there's two things I want to talk about. One, uh, the speed because for me, time is the dependent variable of all matter. It's the only thing that we can quantify everything with. In other words, when I talk about, uh, it is the dependent variable of all matter subjective objective? What I'm trying to say in later that it is the only measurement that can measure everything. Now, There is one other measurement that can, but there's so many variables in it and it's so complex in all realms is space. You actually can quantify everything by space, but uh, for example, the human body has, it's mostly space. And when I say space, unfortunately many people think of, you know, the uh, Pluto and Jupiter and all of that out there, but space is actually the majority of what, Everything is quantified with, but it's so hard to do. Time is a measurement that's man-made and constructed in man-made concepts, so it's easy. So when we're at ease, see nailed it. It's how much time are we spending at dissies, and so we feel like we're more at ease when we're spending less time at dissies, whether it's physical, spiritual, mental, or emotional. And so, to the end of how do we quantify it? I would suggest people start utilizing their attention and intention on how much time does it take me mm-hmm. to put myself at ease or how long am I spending at some sort of higher level of ease because there's always this in play, but we want to be at ease. Now, i share one other thing, which has really helped me, and it happened yesterday. I think it was yesterday, Lacey. Uh, I know uh, these times you know you're traveling a lot when you land in a city and the first thing to pop up on your phone is please check in for your next flight <laughs> <Right>. um so <laughs> that, that, that's been uh my, my weekdays um but but more importantly when you feel things are at ease and people take advantage of this i drop everything like i was in the flow yesterday everybody was getting back to me everybody was telling me mess, and so If you're feeling at ease and you have less disease, double down on most important things that you're looking for because you're at ease. And statistically, when you're at ease, things are going to happen for your benefit at a quicker time, a quick rate. And so yesterday I took my daughter was there with me. Nick was there with me in Indianapolis. I was like, holy shit. Wonderful. everyone get on your phones, call everything that's hanging out there, collect all the money that's owed to us, get all the different interviews we've been waiting for. Let's all the VI, and mm. it was amazing. Just doubling down when you're at ease and paying attention and awareness to it has been an incredible add uh, to everything we do. And I think if you want to quantify it to answer Colleen's question, I know the only thing I can quantify guilt with, resentment with, ease with, fun with, is time. How much time am I spending today in that emotion comparatively to yesterday or tomorrow? That shows progress. Human nature finds it difficult to see progress. Time allows us, you know, oh, I feel guilty. Well, how long do you feel guilty? Oh, it must have been like 62 minutes. Let's try to spend 61 minutes in guilt tomorrow. That is improvement. And nobody else knows how to quantify it. Man, I am blessed to be the dumbest man in the room. Thanks to Dave Marino and Lacey Book joining us. Slick Nick, why don't you bring up someone else? We have time for one more quick question before we bring on our friend from the University of Michigan.
1: And it sounds like a plan, and I can only reiterate that feeling of being in the flow. Yesterday was uh, one of those days that, man, do you just pick up the phone, and everything is either a yes or turned turn into gold in some way, shape, or form. So, and with that said, we have uh, Marissa here who's been patiently waiting on Clubhouse. So, Marissa, feel free to unmute yourself now. David, Lacey, and DM Squared, your question. Hi, everyone. Love you all. Um, I this weekend to talk to Lacey and ask her a couple of questions, but, um, we were talking about rejection and I kind of just wanted her to share with everyone how she looks at rejection and also how both the Daves look at rejection
0: as well. Well, I don't know how Lacey did know about rejection. <laughs> Nobody ever rejects her. What the heck, talk to me and Marino. We know, we know rejection, but, uh, maybe she's seen it with Sean because I'm sure he got rejected a ton by Lacey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anyway, go ahead, Liz.
2: Well, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation, Marissa, because I think so oftentimes people um, don't do things. They don't ask for things. They don't ask for help because they really are living in that fear of rejection. And what I have learned in, in my time on the planet is that really people are never rejecting you. They're just rejecting the opportunity, the thing that you presented. And I think that most people take rejection very personally and that's the the limitation that stops them from living out their true desires and having everything that's rightfully theirs. So if you can just begin to shift your perspective and wrap your mind around the idea that when people are saying no, it's not to you, it's to the offer, it's to the opportunity. And then if you can understand that, then you can say, the more rejection I get, the closer I get to a yes, and it's not going to penetrate or bother me because it's just no to the opportunity.
3: Hey, Marissa, good morning. It's um, so a really good question. I, I think it's something that's easier said than done for, for a lot of people. Um, like Lacey said, I think it's really easy to take these things personal. Um and you know have a need to be offended when it comes to rejection, mm-hmm. especially when you feel rejected and there there is no offer or ask. And just you know taking it back to experiences in my life, I know about myself that I like being liked, right? Like like at my core, I like being liked, uh, and I'll do different actions to make sure that I'm in good graces with most people. But when I was a prosecutor earlier in my career, I would go into the courtroom. And defendants would just, and I'm Dave. I apologize in advance. They would just talk shit immediately, like this Uncle Tom dude here. And in my head, I'm like, whoa, like you guys should be happy I'm here, right? Like I'm I'm here to balance things out. And I used to get so offended and just be so upset about it. But at the end, I started to to, to like release that level of being offended, and really just thought about like they have no problem with me. They have a problem with their situation in their circumstance. And just kind of figuring out like their why and their intention and just like Lacey said, taking out the personal nature of it. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody said specifically, Dave Moreno, you are such, such, and such because of what you did to me, that's a little bit different. Uh, but most times you can you can kind of laser focus in and figure out what the person's intention is and and you won't be you won't feel that level of rejection.
0: Yeah, I love that. I uh was with Angelo Pizzo two days ago uh there in Indy. He he was the producer and director screenwriter, the script writer for Rudy Hoosiers, All-American, uh, and talk about rejection. He was talking about being in the entertainment world and how many people told him that Hoosiers, which was his first movie, was a piece of shit movie. Sorry, David, I had to use the word as well. uh, And that nobody would ever, ever put that movie on. And then they said the same thing about Rudy. Um, and it's amazing. And Jack Canfield, I think went to 120 publishers. He sold over half a billion chicken soup for the soul books, but 112 pubs told him that book sucks. Um, and so I think rejection is, uh, the universe to me indicating that you have a better publisher or a better screenwriter or a better, uh, opportunity ahead of you. It's indicating that, Hey, let me save you time. Cause this isn't going anywhere. Mm. Uh, and that's why I have a three, no rule. And uh, I have a 25 in, in, in prospecting I have a 25 no rule don't quit. You know, so if I'm the only person, you know, especially when I was dating and young, you know, I get rejected 21 times at a bar people are like, why are you so happy? Well, I'm only four more away from getting a yes. Uh, and so I could beat those odds. It was amazing. Um, but more importantly, I love the analogy Pizzo gave. He said, here's what life is like. You're swimming through a sea of no's to get to an island called Est that you don't know if it even exists. And then when you get there, you have to dive back into the sea and find another island that you don't know exists. And I think if you can wrap your mind, your heart and your soul around uh, the idea of coming to sea of no's to an island, that you don't even believe exists or may not know exists called yes. And then know that when you get to the island, you're going to have to jump back in the sea. Uh, It really helps to allow us to enjoy the consistent everyday, persistent without our attention and know that no is an indicator that you got a better place to be a better position to be in. It's not a punishment and it has nothing my two friends said nothing personal about it. Uh, I know Dr. Marcus Collins is logging in right now. Nick, why don't you just quickly reset the room. We're going to bring in our best-selling author for the culture and clinical marketing professor at Cross School of Business. It's a tough – poor Marcus is coming into a tough crowd when he's a Michigan guy. Half my family went to get Michigan, half Ohio State. Nick's a Michigan State guy. So we'll, we'll give him, we represented Harbaugh, so give me that. But uh, off the field, love Michigan. On the field, I'm sorry, Marcus. We're going to have to be at battle someday. Uh, but uh, Nick, real quick, we're going to bring Marcus on. Go ahead, reset the room. Oh, maybe not. We'll just start here. I think I might have lost him. Anyway, Marcus, welcome to Office Hours.
6: Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm super
0: psyched to be here. Thank you. Sorry, I'm trying to coordinate here. Uh, I don't know what happened. Anyway, uh, go ahead, Lisey. I'm going to let you start off as I get Clubhouse back on.
2: Absolutely. Marcus, I love this idea um, about diving into understanding culture a little bit further. And um, I was thinking about this influence of culture on human behavior, but it got me thinking, where does culture actually start? Like who drives our culture? Mm. I mean, I mean, cause there's a lot of things like you're, if you're watching there's TV, there's news, there's fashion, there's food, there's so many components of culture, but where does that change initiate from?
6: Yeah. That's a really great question. And I, I think first it starts with who are we, how mm-hmm. we identify. Right. So culture is I think of it through the lens of Emile Durkheim, one of the founding fathers, sociology talks about culture as a system of conventions and expectations that demarcate who we are and what people like us do. And it's anchored in our identity. So who am I? And because of how I identify, I have a set of beliefs and ideologies right, that govern what people like me do. Right. I'm a Collins. We believe family and church come first. Therefore, Sunday mornings, I'm in the church sanctuary or I get a passive aggressive call from my mother in the afternoon because that was your morning. Right. I'm, I'm a Michigan Wolverine. I know I'm in hot. I know. I know the, the, the block is hot right now, but Michigan Wolverine, we, we believe we're the best school ever. I suppose it's debatable. Suppose it's debatable. Right. Uh, but but because of what we believe, we therefore have a certain set of pride. So because of who we are, it informs how we see the world. Because of the way we see the world, we show up in the world accordingly. So Lexi, to your point, the food we eat, how we talk, how we dress, the norms, the rituals, these things are all byproducts of who we are and how we see the world. And because of who we are, how we see the world, we navigate the world a certain way, and then we express ourselves through shared creations, literature, art, music, film, television, podcasts, brands and branded products. They become These become ways by which we express who we are. So with that as a frame, what starts culture, it starts with belief, ideology, the stories we tell ourselves about the world because of our collective understanding of truth. And when our beliefs are no longer aligned with the community that we're part of, we go, oh, I don't think I belong here anymore. And then we go mm-hmm. find community elsewhere. We go find uh, uh, the, the group of people who see the world that we do and exercise themselves accordingly so that we find ourselves uh, in, in, in community with people like us.
2: This is really interesting. Before I have uh, David go after me, I just want to ask: Do you do you believe that like we have a hundred percent free will in how we engage and interact in the world, or <laughs> you're laughing already? Or do you think that the culture, um, the way that it's designed in our world, it so heavily influences us that we don't?
6: Yeah, not even close. I mean, <laughs> we we have we have an illusion of decision making, a delusion mm-hmm. of of agency. We think that, you know, we like what we like and we go where we go. We do what we do because of our own dispositions. But the way we see the world has been interpolated, has been imprinted on us since we were young. Right. The way you were raised helps you frame how you see the world, where you went to school, frames the way you see the world. Your people help you frame the way you see the world because the world is not objective. It's subjective. Things aren't the way they are. They are the way that we are. Right. Mm -hmm. For some, a cow is leather. For others, deity. For some, it's dinner. Which one is it? It's all those things, (laughs) depending on who you are. Right. So it's so while we think that we're navigating the world because of our own dispositions, our dispositions are byproducts of our cultural subscriptions. Right. So we navigate the world because of the frames by which we see the world. And those frames have been created, constructed, and negotiated by our people based on how we self-identify.
3: Marcus, Marcus. Uh, oh, just, sorry.
0: No, sorry, sorry, Dave. Dave. Oh, all right. no, age before, age before beauty. Go ahead, Dave. <laughs>
3: uh, so, so I'm just gonna say cause I know this is important to you. Ethos, Go ahead and preach because you were just preaching right now. But also, you said that your culture is aligned with University of Michigan, but you're using the U to throw a frame. So. You, you set tripping a little bit there. Your culture, you know. I wasn't I you, Miami. It's a rough
0: crowd. It's a rough crowd for you, Marcus. <laughs>
3: you you got to be careful with everything you do. So you, you're up I here. Mean, I'm going to screenshot that and say you're a huge Yankees fan now. Uh, <laughs> but no, it, look. I think that the topic that we're discussing is so critically important. Yeah. And as someone, a person of color uh, that comes from a diverse background, uh, having one Latin parent and one West Indian parent, uh, and growing up in New York, there's like so many different cultures that I'm a part of and affinity groups I'm a part of. And, you know, I try my best to show up authentically. And I know for a lot of people, that's extremely difficult because you feel like you're not going to be accepted. And mm-hmm. I think that this examination of your cultural uh, upbringing, value, and ethos will determine and dictate how you react in certain situations. What's important to you. I think that's such an important dynamic that a lot of folks don't appreciate. Yeah. Do you have guidance or advice for say you know we're thinking about leadership or executives on how to fully understand or at least at a base level understand someone's cultural identity so that you can empower them to be more successful in the workplace yeah i
6: mean with the first i mean first everything you said i echo 1000 percent. amen
3: so you are you fan let's go
6: Except for that, <laughs> except for that. Yeah. I thought we were talking about reality, all the yeah. reality you said. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But no, you're right. So, like you know, what it requires of of leaders, just like all of us, actually, it requires us uh setting aside our own biases, setting aside our own ethnocentrisms, that is the only the way by which we see the world, and realizing that our worldview isn't the only worldview, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I talk to my students a lot, I tell them you know, the social world that we inhabit is very much like a basketball game. And, and, and the way you see the game depending on where you sit. So if you have nosebleed seats, you see a completely different game than people with, with court side seats, right? It's still the same objective game, but we, we, we envision it, we experience it through many different lenses, which means if we want to understand the world, In its totality, it requires us sitting in many, 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 many different seats. And as leaders, that's your job to be radically empathetic, right? Being able to see the world through other people's lenses and go, I don't, I don't agree with it, but I understand it. Because if we do come to terms with the fact that the world is not objective, it's subjective. We go, oh, okay, well, my truth isn't the only truth, right? And David's truth is this, and Lacey's truth is this, and David's truth is that. And so long as your truth doesn't mean my oppression then we could rock, hmm. but that requires just an unbelievable amount of empathy. And leaders I mean, you know, if, uh, there's a, there's a construct that we use at, at, at Ross about leadership being um, influencing without authority. Right. And 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 culture becomes like the biggest cheat code to influence people without authority, because it's not like I'm telling you what to do, but I'm inspiring you what to do based on a shared ideology. And when someone so say you, you, David, someone who's from New York, who has a similar upbringing to you, sees the world the way you do, you go, oh, fam, what's good? You feel immediately connected, right? Because we are social animals by nature. We're given to community. we are given to belong. And that belonging, the covalent bonds that connect us to these communities is our culture, the beliefs and ideologies that we hold and how we ultimately practice it. And that's not only a consumption level, that's also in our organizations as well as society. Like we vote the way we vote Not because of the legislation, it's because of our identity, because of how we see the world. And that's massively powerful, whether you're a marketer, manager, leader, politician, clergy, uh, activists, and everything in between. You want the best interest of getting people to move. There's no external force more powerful than culture to do that very thing. But to understand someone else's culture requires you setting aside your biases, your worldview, your frames, which now I cannot put up. Thanks, David. Uh, Because your frames to adopt the frames of someone else and see how they see the
0: world.
2: Hmm.
0: You know, it's so interesting, Marcus, because it's, we give meaning to everything we see. And one of the blessings, my mom's an educator with six kids that my mom, and I didn't understand it, but she forced me to read a lot of history. Hmm. And I I couldn't understand why as I got older and she made me read Ben Franklin's autobiography which I don't suggest anyone read uh because it's really long or listen to the audio if it exists um but she told me human nature never changes mm-hmm. and she also told me another thing that dealt with the idea between understanding and oppression and, and I'm going to use a re- really uh, difficult issue to talk to to illustrate this to you because I w- want to know your opinion how human nature impacts this idea of meaning. So one of the most, I think, uh, difficult conversations to have in America is about abortion. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's illustrative of appreciating people that are the same as you and appreciating the differences between people that are the same as you, meaning we're human, we're all human, or we're all men, or we're all women, or whatever people say. Um, And I think it's interesting because it's the easiest way to say that If a woman tells me, you know, that she would like to have an abortion and someone else says, but that's murder. And then they put a time on that murder saying at inception, at three months, at 45 hours, whatever it is. In essence, that person, the invisible assumption of the person is that they don't believe in murder and nobody can prove whether or not it's a murder or not. Yeah. And yet we fight with someone. We share that belief. 99, and I, I told you 99% of all statistics are made up, but I believe 99.9% of people don't believe in murder. I, I really do. I, that, that's just in my mind. But we don't take the invisible assumption. We immediately look for the differences and don't appreciate that when we are basing it off of a human nature, a, a culture that exists. How can we help people? realize when we are all looking at something in a different way to find the way that we're thinking to be ultra intelligent in our following not forcing leadership uh, but allow in the context for the personal meanings to exist or coexist so the 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 abortion one is tough
6: because the ideologies aren't just worldviews; mm. they're also, and they're also practiced, they're also lived, mm. um, and almost to, to David's earlier point about being New Yorker, uh, having you know uh, a, a multiple backgrounds in in, in his familial uh, in, his, in his familial structure, like we we're intersectional, like we have we have identity intersectionality right? Like we have individual reference, like I'm a professor. Uh, there's social references. Like I'm a part of a fraternity called five, eight to Sigma. Um, there are uh, there are abstract references. I'm a father and all these things together make up who, who I am. And therefore I see the world through those multiple lenses. Almost like when you go to the doctor and you have like different, you know, different lenses to see the world, like that's essentially uh, wh- what we do. But when it comes to abortion, it's not just that I see the world differently. It's that the decisions that I make feel like it's infringing on someone else's reality of the world, mm. which makes it just it's tougher than just, you know, I think, you know, I think that the Bulls are better than the Lakers. It's it's tougher than, than that. Um, which makes the, or the which m- make it the seem-
0: Buckeyes are better than the Wolverines, right? <laughs> uh, that is not true, actually.
1: Historically, <laughs> it's not true. Like,
6: okay. I thought we're talking facts over here. I thought this was office hours. So we're talking <laughs> <laughs> but, but so I mean so so abortion becomes sticky because it's not just perspective it's about the way the decisions that we make and if someone gets an abortion and it feels like murder for me then I feel a moral responsibility mm. to 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 intercede where someone would go look it's my body it's my house stay out you know um, and therefore you find yourselves at, at, at loggerheads and I think what, what, what we find though if Not to quote a statistic, but what we find more and more is that people are actually okay with abortion in a certain context, in a certain frame, right? And it's this binary nature of all or nothing that I think makes it impossible for us to get along. But if we can find some semblance of of neutrality or some semblance of like, I can meet you halfway as it were, then we can get along. But if we, if everything is binary, if everything is black and white, if everything is this false bifurcation,
0: there's no way that we can connect. No way.
6: Mm. Yeah.
0: Who wants to throw up the last question with our guest who we're going to beg to come back on others because he's using uh, anyone.
2: Uh, I got something. Um, so Marcus, I keep hearing you talk about this idea of we have to be able to, Look, especially as leaders, uh, look through the lens of other people's worldviews and we have to exercise empathy. And I really am sitting here and I'm like, I wish it was as simple as it sounds, right? But wow. the reality of it is, is that we are human and our humanness has a drive and a need to find other people that have our same worldview to mm-hmm. reinforce and validate that worldview. And then you dip yourself into the culture and the way that the world is designed now. It's really easy for the culture and the social media to reinforce your current worldview. Oh yeah. So how does one begin to step away from one lens to look into another?
6: Yeah. So what you said is absolutely correct. And once we, uh, once we accept the fact that. Our truth is our truth but it's not the only truth mm. we then have to force ourselves outside of the comfort zones right like you know the reason why we love to hear some uh reinforcements and validation of our own opinions because it cognitively feels great it's like a cognitive hug oh yeah the world <laughs> is what i thought it was the world <laughs> makes sense right but what we know of how we learn is we learn through cognitive disequilibrium mm-hmm. when our world view is destroyed and therefore, we have to put the world back together again. A scholar named uh, Jean Piaget, that was this t- entire thesis on how we learn, right? Cognitive disequilibrium. The, mm. Our schema is broken. Then we put the world back together again. The world now makes sense. And I think that for us, you know, we have to yeah. break through what feels comfortable. Like, I mean, like, look, I, I can't speak for everyone, but look, working out every day is not comfortable for me. No, 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 no. Right. But I know the benefit of doing it. Therefore... I try to work out as much as I can, not every day, but as much as I can. Um, and the same thing goes here is that if we know that the world is not objective, it's subjective, and we have more civility when we, when we accept that fact and engage with people through that lens, then we have to push ourselves out of our comfort zone. For instance, and, and, and I'll uh, reveal some of my biases. You know, we watch MSNBC nonstop in our house, just non nonstop. And I'll hear a story and I go, how in the world can anybody see this any other way? And I go, I gotta turn on Fox News. I got to. I've mm-hmm. I got to see the other side. And even though I don't agree, I get it. Mm-hmm. And that's what nice. we're just trying to get to getting it. As a researcher, as a marketer, you know, I research things, you know, that like that I don't believe in, that I don't see the world a certain way. Like, you know, there's certain things I don't do, right? Like I'm not, a, I'm not into cosplay, right? And but however, when I'm studying cosplayers, I go, Oh, I get it. Like mm-hmm. I can see my, I can see something in me that relates to them. And even though I don't agree, I get it. And that's the job of doing cultural research, right? You're trying to find the familiar in the strange, right? You're trying to find the like, oh, this is weird. I don't understand it. I don't necessarily agree, but I get it. Mm-hmm. And I think we can get there. We can go cool. Like, look, as long as your worldview don't mean that I'm oppressed doesn't mean that my body is beaten. Doesn't mean that I must die. Doesn't mean that my freedoms are stripped from me. As long as that's the case, you know, we can rock, right? Look, surprisingly, Ohio State actually does some good stuff. Surprisingly.
0: Yeah,
6: but like, you know, but if we can say, look, you know, they're a good school, they do good things, this is actually sound and feasible. We can go, I don't agree with it. It's not my cup of tea, but all good. And, and, and like say, that requires just so much intentionality from us, mm. right? To break through, you know, what seems to be uh, easy, cognitively fluid, to do what is in our best interest, right? Mm. The, the the you know we we love sugar, we love sweet, we love these things. Our bodies like just kind of dopamine's fire when we get it, but we know too much of it is not good for us, and therefore we have to overcome what feels natural and easy to do the things that are in our best interest. When it comes to civility, when it comes to like inhabiting this world together, I think it requires us being
0: empathetic, even if it's not our natural state. Beautiful. Yeah, I love the distinction, as long as I'm not oppressed, because I think a lot of people, if they thought in those terms and had that perspective, they'd be much more open-minded to being an intelligent follower and trying to understand, oh, okay, I can see why you believe that. I don't agree with it. That's but right. as long as it's not oppressing me and infringing on my freedom, i uh, equality of having my own opinion or acting in a way that I believe helps everyone and doesn't oppress others, uh, I'm all for it. Dr. Marcus Collins, if you want to understand how to be a leader, I think for the culture is, is it a must-read. Uh, available. Check it out. The culture in the clinical marketing professor at the University of Michigan, one of the greatest schools off the field you can ever experience. <laughs> uh, you got one of the most winning programs, David. The there programs. I'm, just saying, I'm just saying. Envy, envy is, is human. Nature, so uh, jealousy and envy always projecting my insecurity when it comes to football, uh, as you will learn as we become closer friends. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. We have other shows. We'll definitely be inviting you on. Incredible insight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Take care, guys. Uh, You're amazing. All right. We only have the best here on Fridays, especially almost 24 years. I've been doing it. Every month we do an Office Hours edition, and I've been blessed to have two of the best co-hosts, Dr. Lacey Book, uh, my little sister. Please come back and join me. Uh, After this, I'm thinking, you know what? We need a show together. You know, I know my best friend, Dr. Sean Dill will be jealous. Maybe we'll let him join us. Maybe. uh, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Thanks for joining me. You're incredible. And my younger brother, DM, Dr. David Maria Esquire, an incredible soul. He is changing and impacting the world as Lacey. Thank you both for your time. It's 7 a.m. here Pacific time. Slick Nick, uh, I got that right. Please close out the room. Thank you everyone. Uh, that's Friday training. We appreciate you. We are everywhere. Uh, we will be in the Silicon slopes next week with Tony Robbins and Dean Grazioli, Jim quick, uh, Itzler, Many others will be there. Come and join us. Uh, David at dmeltzer.com. Uh, if you want to know all the different places we're going to be, we're going to be with Tom Brady in Mexico city, Chicharito, Orlando, Houston, LA. It just doesn't matter. Come eat me, David at dmelzer.com. Remember most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Thanks for joining us.
6: now I'm at the point you want to be with me I'm vibing out at a higher frequency cause everything that I want and I'm gonna be it's when I wake up that's when I start to dream someone you love is talking down here is the plan let it fall through like a handful of sand nothing happens overnight What you must understand if you dwell on the bad then you don't stand a chance something you want upset saying why it ain't mine yet that's because now you have yet to change your mindset people don't put their mind to rest while they're so wired a lot of people go to sleep and wake up tired power of positivity and persistence say that i can't we'll just sit back and witness make an impact when our time is done make money help people and have lots of fun whoa